Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. It's great to be back with you, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well and uh, look forward to debriefing our conversation with Walter Driver, the founder and CEO of Scopely, which is a billion dollar online gaming company. And this is a leader who's really thought about the kind of culture he wants, what kind of organization he wants, people he wants to have in it. And he's very, very thoughtful. He's very thoughtful. That conversation was a fascinating one to listen in on. So if you haven't listened to the entire episode, definitely go back and listen to it in the feed. Before we get into the questions, though, David, I got to ask you, are you a closet gamer? No, but I do play gin rummy with my granddaughter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that counts as gaming, even though it's not Walter Driver's type of gaming. But like I said, definitely go back, give that episode a listen. He's built an incredible company. For today, though, I've got three questions that are going to debrief this episode. Are you ready, David? I am. And by the way, just a little bit more on the gaming piece. I love Monopoly. And there's a Monopoly mobile game that uh, Walter and his team developed at Scopely that's just absolutely killing it. And that's what he's doing. He's taking these iconic properties and bringing them into the 21st century, the way how people want to play today and the way how people want to have fun. Question number one. Walter's focus has always been creating an environment where the most talented people want to work. He believes that when you're creating a company, you're really creating a club, and it's your job as the leader to make sure people want to be part of that club. David, what were some of your best recruiting strategies when you were hiring for key positions at Yum Brands? Number one, I really believe as the CEO of the company, or the head of your team, you need to own the decision. And that means you need to get very involved in in hiring that person. One of the things that I always did was I insisted on going to dinner, not only with that person, but also with the person's partner. And I would have my wife, Wendy, join us. That was a way I could really find what the heart and the soul of the person was really all about. And one of my key strategies was asking my wife, Wendy, what she thought, because she has great people judgment. And I have to tell you, she was always right. The one time that I went against her, I really regretted it. So that was one thing that I always did. I think you really want to get to know people outside of the office. The other thing is that when people came to interview at our company, I had them interview the very best people. I had them interview the people that were the most talented, the most excited about our company, the people that really lived our culture, the people that I knew that could get them excited about the culture. Because what I want to be in position to do is to basically be the clincher. If we decide we want that person, I want to be the person who literally closes the sale. And so by the time that person gets into my office, I've really kind of gauged what everybody thinks about them, and then I decide the approach that I'm going to take to really get them to come to the company. The other thing is, is everybody has references. Don't rely on your headhunter to tell you what everybody thinks if you're using executive recruiters. Call the people directly that had direct contact with that person and ask them what they think of that person. Because you know what? It's easy for them to tell a headhunter or executive recruiter that, oh, he's a really good guy or she's a really good person, she's really terrific, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
But when you call them up yourself and they know that someday they may have to look you in the eye, you're going to get the real skinny. They're going to tell you what that person's all about. So don't delegate the entire process. If you really have a key person you want to go after, go get them and make sure that you make that your top priority. And why not? Talent is everything. If you bring in a highly talented person, you're going to grow the company because we all know that formula success that I always talk about. Build people capability first, then you satisfy more customers, and that's how you make more money. And that's a very common sense approach, but believe me, it's an approach that really does work when it comes to driving consistent results. Question number two, Walter says that in the gaming industry, no matter how much innovation you have in your company, there's always more happening outside. That's why his company is constantly engaged in what he calls programmatic exploration of all the M&A opportunities that are out there. In your opinion, David, how should founders, CEOs be thinking about mergers and acquisitions? Well, number one, I think, uh, you know, the mergers and acquisitions or the possibilities need to really be identified and explored in your strategic planning process. So you need to have a list of companies that you think could really uh, add value to your company. And that's how I think leaders should be thinking about mergers and acquisitions. Will they add value? Will they make your company better? Along those lines, I always think about three things. Number one, I think about, do the cultures match? If we bring these people in, will we be bringing in people and a culture that will welcome our culture and that we will have a fit from a culture and and people standpoint? Number two, you know, will this add tremendous value to our company? Will this company be able to do something that we need to have done that we don't currently have the capability. That's when you really have a home run is when you can really bring in a new business that that really adds tremendous value to your company. And then the third thing is what synergies are there? Where can you save money, make a company more efficient and more productive? When you think about those three things, you know, the culture, what this company will do to add the value that you currently can't do, and do you have synergies to really make the economics work? When you think through a possible marriage that way, I think you're going to be more likely to come up with a successful solution. Question number three, I absolutely love Walter's advice for people who want to become better leaders. He says it's critical that one learns how to manage their inner world because in his opinion, that emotional consistency is the foundation upon which an institution can be built. David, what's your take on that? Well, I think Walter's right. I think leaders need to prepare themselves to go to work and have their mindset in the right place so that they can get to the best possible decisions and impact people in the most positive ways. And there's all kinds of ways to do that. You know, meditation is something that a lot of leaders talk about, and they've really gone to school on it because they think that it really helps them, you know, calm their mind and get them into a good decision-making state, a state that allow them to go into the office and, and impact people positively. You know, for me, I always try to make sure that I work out every day. I, I do my devotional every day. You know, I write down my gratitudes every day. And, you know, I have started journaling positive things that happened the day before and writing down what I'm really looking forward to. Because I think the more you can get yourself excited about what's ahead of you, you're managing your inner world 
and you're going to be more consistent. There's nothing worse than somebody who's tired, comes into work, hasn't really worked on themselves, and then starts taking it out on everybody else. I think if you take time for personal reflection, you know that it's your job to come in with the right state of mind that's going to have a positive impact on others. David, I'm thinking about people that I've worked for in the past, and there are few things worse than knowing you work for someone who is emotionally volatile. I think when people come into work and don't know which version of their leader or boss they're going to get, it just creates this distrust and skepticism that really does silently poison a culture. And so the leaders that I have loved working for the most are ones that feel emotionally grounded, who aren't volatile, and create that safe space for everybody else to not only express how they're feeling when the time is appropriate, but also to share openly about what they're going through and what they need to work through in order to get to that grounded mental state. You're so right, Kula, because I think what you're really talking about here is how do you build trust? And trust comes through consistency. If you're not consistent and people don't know what to expect, they're going to just be wondering when that next arrow is going to be flying at them that they, they never really anticipated. So I think consistency comes down to really being consistent. And the best way to be consistent is to have a consistent internal process that will manage your inner world. So Kula, let me ask you a question. How do you work on your, your mental consistency? Well, like you, David, I try to wake up in the morning and move my body. I feel like that just gets my adrenaline pumping and my energy goes up. Another thing that I started doing several years ago was trying my best not to get on social media before 10 a.m. my time. So what that allows me to do is really fill up my brain and my mind with things that are good for me long before anything negative penetrates that. So I journal every morning. I have my meditation practice that I do, and I try to move my body. And what I found is when I do those things first, by 10 a.m., when maybe you want to scroll through Twitter or Instagram, even if you do, you've already filled your brain up with such positive things that the negativity that sometimes seeps in when you look on social media doesn't have that much space to take up. So even if I'm not able to, you know, have that practice every day, I do try to every morning fill up my mental space with things that are positive so that it sets the tone for my day. And when I do encounter things that are challenging or obstacles in the day, which happens every day, they don't really have that much space in my brain to take up. So my problems just get put in their proper perspective. And I find that I'm genuinely in a better mood when I'm able to do that. Yeah. So speaking of 10 a.m., one of the things I learned, Kula, is I'm just not a morning person. And so what I did so that I could have the best positive meetings, I started scheduling all really important meetings after 10 o'clock. And then I used the early morning to ready my myself for the day and do all the, the things that I needed to do that only I could do as it relates to the job. And when it came time to get involved with other people, that happened after 10 o'clock. Note to self, do not call David Novak before 10 a.m. And by the way, we do these <laughs> podcasts at four o'clock in the afternoon, not the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that does it for our episode of Three More Questions today. Thanks so much for tuning in to How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well.
And coming up next, Kula, on How Leaders Lead is Lisa Lutoff-Burlo, the former CEO of Celebrity Cruises. And the weather's been pretty bad here lately, and I'd like to go on one of those real quick. (laughs) 